Thanks for listening to Cato Sports. I hope you enjoy the pod. Give it a follow. Share it with your mates. I appreciate the love. This is Cato Sports. Welcome into the pod. It's Cato Sports coming at you on a Tuesday, as always, May 23rd. Awesome round of footy. There was just harrowing losses. There was illegal procedure losses. There was, you know, culture setting wins. There was hopeful wins. There was that disaster by West Coast. When you've got a round of footy that's got that much emotion in it, it just provides so many storylines and it's just going to be a huge show today. I've got so much I want to cover, but I'm going to start Iron and I'm going to review all nine games as always. Uh, I've got my player of the round coming up as well later on in the show, but I'm going to start off with my player of the round and it begins back at the 2018 national draft. So this was, you know, a really special draft when it came out you looked at the names and you had Sam Walsh and Lacocious and Rankin and the King brothers, Rosie, Bailey Smith, Blakey. There really was a lot of names on there and everyone was going, wow, these kids are these kids are pretty good. And I remember thinking for the first couple of years, geez, there's a lot of talent in this area. But start of the 2021 season, these guys are into their third season in the AFL and there was one bloke that wasn't in that group that was just jumping out to me. As as someone who watches most of the games, there was one dude that was literally popping off the screen, and that was Zach Butters. I, I just thought he was re- relentless at trying to win the football. He had no regard for his body. His ability to insert himself on a game was just like something I hadn't seen, especially out of this draft class. And I was saying to people at the time, guys, There is a kid called Butters playing at Port that you haven't heard of that is dominating right now. He is absolutely dominating. And people were giving me lots of backlash. And I said, look, he could easily be the best player in this class. He could easily. And I got a lot of backlash for that as well from my buddies. But, you know, he'd had a game in round two where he had 36 touches and a goal. He kicked two goals in the first round as well. And then in a Friday night slot against Richmond, who had just won the flag, He had 19 touches and a goal in the first half. And with about 20 seconds left in the half, he went and did his knee. And he was out for most of the rest of the season. And it was really, really a a sad circumstance because he was dominating. And I was really getting excited for what Butters was going to become. Now, obviously, young player, injures his knee. I've done my knee before as well. I know many people have had knee injuries. They're just not something you recover from straight away. They take a year. They take 18 months. And right now, we are just seeing Zach Butters get back to where he was, and that is one of the most dominant players in the comp. I think at the moment, 
Champion data have him rated over the last six weeks as the most dominant player in the competition. He's got the highest ranking points. His game on Friday night was the, one of the more special games I've watched definitely this season, if not for a while. His tenacious attack on the football, his will and want to put his team in the right position to win. He went inside 58 times. He had 10 clearances. He had 12 score involvements, 41 touches, but he kicked two massive goals in pouring rain. And I just I just think he's someone that is different. He's a different cat. And it's not he doesn't have the skill of a Rankin or the skill of a of a Lacocious. He's not, you know, doesn't have all the physical attributes of the Kings. But man, he is just, he just wants it more than other players out on the ground. And it's it's something that really pops off the screen. And I just love the way he goes about it. Four free kicks, four as well. It's just a testament to someone that wants it more than the opponent. And it wasn't like he was playing scrubs. He was up against Petrarca and Gorn and Oliver and Viney. And he was the one that really just propelled Port, especially for the first three quarters of the game, in a game that they were probably touted to lose. That wasn't a game they were meant to win. They'd had a, you know, Port have kind of been this team that everyone's kind of not really valued, not really rated, but they've won big games and they've knocked off good teams this season. And this midfield that's coming together with Butters and Horn Francis, who had some excellent moments as well. And, and Rosie, who we know is one of the more skilled players in the competition, and they're just building and building. And, you know, they, they don't have a forward line to kick to at the moment. Their ruck stocks are pretty average, to say the least. They've got a good back line, but it is really humming there in the middle. And I just – Zach Butters is just – he's off the chain at the moment. And he's going to continue being off the chain because – you can't stop intent. That's one thing you can't do. You can't nullify how hard someone runs, how hard they tackle, how hard they pursue the ball. We've seen it with Nick Dacos coming into the league, and he's just someone that is, you know, unflinching in his pursuit of the ball, pursuit of his run. He doesn't care. On the weekend, we saw Dacos. He he got tagged, I guess, by by Kerno, uh, Ed Kerno. But he didn't care. He just ran off him. He ran off him all day. He did not care at all that he was being tagged. He said, I'm just going to go win my own football. And if you can chase me and you can tackle me, then then so what? But you're not going to be able to because I know I work harder than you. So it's those types of guys that I just, I've fallen in love with. And I just had to say that about Zach Butters because I I saw this a, a couple of seasons ago and it, it popped for me then. And it's taken a bit of time since the knee, but this season he is just absolutely back and he is is flying. That was the player of the round for me. The play of the round was young Zach Merritt, the captain of the Essendon Football Club in a midfield that didn't have Setterfield. It didn't have Shield. It it, it, it didn't have um, Parrish. And he ran all over Richmond. He controlled the ball. He got out into space and he was everywhere for four quarters. But when the game was on the line, when there was a chance to win the game and Dusty's taken off from half forward towards the 50, Zach Merritt is there 
laying the tackle that forces the errant kick that ends up in Ridley's hands, that gets out to Redmond, that gets the ball forward. It's just that type of player who is willing to run both ways is also one of my favorite types of players. And that tackle signified what Essendon had been all year. And that is honest effort start to finish. And I've, I've, I don't think they'll play finals. But they could play finals because they put up a standard every week that a lot of teams can't match. And they put up a standard every week that's unflinching. And they don't have the talent. And they don't have the guys out in the park at the moment. So they should get beaten in a lot of games. But the prerequisite of bringing honest intensity and effort to a game is something that Essendon have done all year. And Zach Merritt is the leader of that team. And the fact that Richmond let him run around the whole game by himself was, it's a travesty. I just don't understand it. I've, I've spoken about this before and I'll speak about it again. Great teams and great setups and systems handcuff or tie up the left hand of the, tie up the, the, the hand of the opposition so that they cannot just go to their number one option. You need to nullify whoever is killing you. Whoever is going to have the biggest impact in the game needs to be restricted. That It's just a, that's a baseline thing that good teams and good organizations do. And this whole our system versus your system thing, it's, I don't even know what that means. You, we know that there are players that are better than other players out on the football field. So if you know Essendon only has really one midfielder that can hurt you, why are you not putting time and effort into him? It just, it dumbfounds me. I don't understand why teams don't, it, it, whether it's tagging, whether it's putting pressure on. We saw on Friday night, Port Adelaide went after Max Gorn. And they didn't go after Max Gorn because he's the 23rd best player on their team. And every, you know, he just kind of has a couple of taps every week. We see a lot of Ruckman have weeks where they don't get any special attention. But they went after Gorn because he's a leader of the team because he has impact on games, because they want to slow him down. They don't want him thinking about what he usually does well, which is get behind the ball, run forward, make a break. They want him thinking, oh, Pal Pepper's getting in front of me. Pal Pepper's annoying me. Oh, here comes the next guy. You know, now it's Boke that's that's getting into me or it's, or it's Houston getting into me. That's what you want the guy thinking because then he's not thinking about the football that he's meant to be playing. And it just... I just don't understand. Good teams, teams that are winning, put time into into the opposition players that are going to hurt them and bad teams don't do that. And that's why Richmond at the moment, I mean, I just look at them and go, geez, this was such a winnable game. The game game should have been won. I mean, you're up by two goals or three goals. You're five minutes to go. It was hard for them to lose, but they did. And that's, you know, it just shows. And I, I just want to bring it back to Merritt because he's the he was unbelievable all night. The tackle was symbolic of the effort that he put in and the F Essendon put in. And sometimes as I've as as I've called out guys like Dusty and I've called out Bolton, it's that kind of mediocre effort that you sometimes get from those guys that it kind of leads through the whole team and and you don't get the results at the end. After this. I'm going to go straight into the teams. We'll kick off with the Friday night match. We'll review that. I'll see you after the break. 
Let's go. Welcome back from the break. It's Cato Sports on a Tuesday. Man, what a ripping round of footy. Let's get into the games. We'll start Friday night, Port versus Melbourne. It, it was a really one of the better games of the round. The quality of football was good. The conditions kind of sucked, yet the play was still pretty awesome. I was very – as a, just a spectator, I was like, wow, this is this is a ripping game of footy. Both teams were going at it pretty hard the whole time. I thought Port had control of the game for the most part. Uh, they just outplayed Melbourne in a lot of parts. And, you know, it's some of those younger guys coming through for Port. I mentioned Butters heaps in the first segment, but – Rose, Willem Drew, Darcy Burn Jones was in and out of the team, but now he's he's in. You know, he lays 12 tackles. That's a really good game for him. Dylan Williams is looking really good as one of the young players in Port's back line. So just those young guys coming through for Port that are making the difference at the moment. And they were able to, to make that Melbourne team that's usually really steady a little bit unsteady. They struggled to get the ball out of their back half a lot. They struggled to transition the ball. It wasn't just an Oliver and Petrarca show, which it has been in previous weeks. You know, I don't think Viney had one of his worst games of the year so far. So Gorn had one of his worst games as well. So just being able to nullify and win that midfield battle, but then just win around the ground as well. I think Port did a really good job of that. Um, You know, they smashed them in the clearances. They had much more... Uh, possession in front half. They had more shots at goal. So overall, this was a really good culture-setting win for Port. I think you look at those young guys coming through and go, geez, with the amount of outs they've got, you know, Marshall, Dixon, Giorgiardis, Rioli, all forward line outs, their ruck setup isn't isn't the best at Port as well. They, yeah, they probably should have lost a game like this. But when you've got such good young talent in your team that want to win games of footy and you go and you make your home field your fortress and someone comes over there and the conditions aren't perfect and it's, you know, a sloppy game and you want it more than they do, then you're going to come out a lot of the times with the victory and that's exactly what Port did. And they've shown up this season, so I'm really happy for them. As for the Ds, I can only see this as an opportunity. So they've had a pretty cruisy start to the year. They've won a lot of good games. They've won a lot of easier games. Now they lose one. Now they probably lose Oliver for a while with a hamstring injury. This whole topic that I was talking about earlier, this theme that I've got, which is how do you play without your best weapon? How do you play with your hands tied behind your back? That's that's kind of the theme of the week. And I think Melbourne have got an opportunity here. Guys like Spargo and Sparrow, Dunstan's been playing really well in the twos, where the picket comes on ball for parts and, and plays a role there. When you get closer to the end of the year, you need 22 guys firing, and sometimes your injury list is, you know, the size that it is. It could be quite big. It could be small. You don't really know. So you need to have different options. So I think it's really good. They've got a patch of two or three weeks here where they need to trial some things and go, okay, we don't have Oliver. So we're going to lose 30 to 35 touches a game out of the midfield. We're going to lose, you know, 10 clearances out of the midfield. In the aggregate, how can we make that up? Can we give some other guys a go and hopefully get a similar similar result through an accumulation of guys that then will be able to do that in spurts in the finals and in the back half of the year? And if you wanted to rest a player or, or if anything happens like that, You've got other options. Late in the season, you get an injury, you get a suspension. You know how easy it is to get suspensions now. 
there's going to be something happen this September. You're going to want backup. So opportunity for Melbourne, I think, and they'll come back from this. They're not going to sit on the bottom. They they were a good team that, you know, had, a, had an off day and they lost by four points away. So we'll, we'll see them come back. Next game of the round, just a <laughs> – I mean – North Melbourne versus Sydney, what more can I say? You cannot lose games because of illegal procedure. It just, it's frightening. But we know North Melbourne hasn't had an easy week. They've lost their coach. There's coaching changes. They've got new things coming in. There's new guys working the boundary. All those changes mean sometimes that the easy things, the things, the basics that you need to tick off don't get done. So, I think at the end of the day, North losing that game isn't that big of a deal. I mean, you shouldn't lose that type of game in that way, but it's not that big of a deal because they came to play and they stood up and they've had issues at the club. They've had a terrible week, if not terrible couple of years, but they really stood up and played a good game. And the introduction of George Wardlaw, which I've been saying just this season, as I watched a little bit of his under-18s campaign last year and then coming into the start of the season, unfortunately, he was a bit injured. But, geez, this kid is an absolute bull. And he, just like Butters, just like Merritt, I see it early and go, he wants the contest. You know, he wants – I saw him go up against Parker and Warner in situation and he's hand on him, ready, ready to push off, ready to make a play himself, ready to lay a tackle. I think he, he had nine tackles for the game. He had 16 touches. And when the game was on the line in that third fourth quarter, he was really, really impactful. And you go, geez, North Melbourne have been – they have really been waiting for a guy like this because it, their recent drafts, Will Phillips, Tom Powell, Taron Thomas – None of these guys are aggressive. None of these guys want it. None of these guys are, are really up to where they needed to be. And so to see a guy like this come in and you go, just from day one, he pops and you go, wow, Wardlaw is is something special and he will be something special to come. And the fact that he can come in there, play midfield, I hope that they can kind of figure it out so that they've got McDonald and they've got Zebel behind the ball so that Sheasel doesn't have to play too much behind the ball because – Shizel is dangerous. Like he's a, he needs to be a forward half guy. He needs to create goals, not stop too many goals. So we that's where you want Shizel to be. And adding that Wardlaw Shizel combination in and going, that's our midfield for the next 10 to 15 years is it's going to be something really special. I think North supporters can be really happy because they gave them a lift and they were competitive as and that's all you that's all you want. As fans going to a game. You just want to be proud that your football club's out there and you're performing, and that's exactly what you got from North. As for Sydney, I mean, there's not a lot going right for them. They're a better team than North Melbourne. We know that. They've got a lot more talent. But their back line is suspect, to say the least, and missing those three key pillars, which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago in my um, – in my therapy sessions, it just is not the same thing. It really isn't. And, you know, I looked at these two games and said, okay, you get Freo, okay, you get North, you know, you should be able to roll those two and then walk into a game against Carlton and it'd be a, you know, a big game for you. Well, now it's 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 even bigger because you lost the Fremantle game. You looked underwhelming against North to say the least. I mean, North had that game 
in the bag and they fumbled it themselves. That wasn't Sydney winning it. That was North fumbling the game. They gave up three goals late. One of the goals was, we know, the interchange thing. But, gee, Sydney have got a lot of work to do. And it, it is hard. You lose three big key pillars in your back line. Then, you, then you're using Blakey as a backman and he – you know, as more of like a lockdown and he can't get off the chain and move the ball forward. You've got Franklin who's a little old and slow down there as well. The midfield's just not as cohesive as it was. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they're missing Mills now as well. It's it's going to be really tough for them. And I I mean, it's an absolute must-win game for finals if they even going to, you know, fire a shot this year But uh, against Carlton next week on Friday night. But... Yeah, not looking great for Sydney at the moment. Next game on the agenda, Doggies versus Crows. Now, I still am very confident that the Crows are going to have a really good season, but this matchup didn't work for them. This matchup was exactly the matchup that was going to unravel them, I think, clearly. Where are the Crows' weaknesses? So through this start of the season, their weakness has been probably their midfield. Their back line's strong. We know how dangerous they are going forward. It's Riley O'Brien in the ruck. It's, you know, they're good with with Laird and, and Jordan Dawson, but outside of that, it falls away pretty quickly. So they really need to move the ball quickly and get it into the forward line and let their forwards go to work. That's how they've been, they've been doing it and trying not to rely too much on repeat stoppages, repeat contests. And they played the dogs who have arguably the deepest midfield in the competition with absolutely loaded plays everywhere. We know English is the highest-ranked Ruckman at the moment. We know how good Bont is. Libba had a really good game. Bailey Smith had one of his best games of the year. McRae had a really good game, and you go, geez, okay. So they're, they're deep through there. They've got a lot of dudes moving through there. And this game was in sloppy conditions, which doesn't suit a team like Adelaide that wants to move the ball quickly and, and try and score. There's lots of wind around playing out in, at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. So not the, the you know, not that Adelaide need great conditions to win games of football, but against a contested team, you know, that has a great midfield and, you know, there wasn't much working for them forward of the ball because the ball was coming in and it wasn't coming in as well as they wanted it to and the dogs were able to, you know, take a few big marks in the forward line and, and create a little bit. I I just think it wasn't a great matchup for the Crows. I don't think it really reflects how the Crows are going this season because, you know, it wasn't like the Dogs, one player at the Dogs got a hold of them. It was, you know, they had a, a bunch of different goal kickers. They didn't kick that straight as well. They just really beat them in that midfield contest around the ground. I, I think in terms of both teams, the Dogs will come out of that and go, we collected a nice win there. The Crows will come out and go, we've got plenty to work on, but it's not going to dispirit them from having a continued good season. Uh, last one before we go to the break. Geez, Fremantle versus Geelong. I'm going to start out with just saying from a Geelong aspect, they they look really beatable at the moment. And it's because their midfield looks undermanned. And you can understand you're losing Dangerfield, you're losing Guthrie, that you're going to be a bit undermanned. Stanley, I mean, I don't know what the jump is from Stanley to Segler. I don't think it's massive. I don't think it's game-changing. But you're missing Dangerfield and you're missing Guthrie. 
And that is big for Geelong because I think the drop-off from them to their next set of inside mids is one of the biggest in the comp when you lose those guys because Atkins, Parfit, uh, a bit of blitzarbs going through there. It, it's not the same midfield. Tanner Brun, it, it it's not the same. And so you really are relying on Dangerfield and Guthrie and and Duncan to have big games. Otherwise, you're you're probably not going to win many games. So the fact that they're not playing at the moment and Geelong have a pretty tough, as I said in the last podcast, they've got a pretty tough month month and a half. I'm a bit worried that they'll they'll drop a couple of games here. I don't I don't think they'll miss the finals, but you know, I I said Freo were going to mount a charge. They did. They came to play. Their midfield is starting to get the ball rolling. Their rucks are working nicely together. Amos is starting to come on as a player. When their forward line's going, it's really good. We, you know, when it's Frederick and it's Schultz and it's Banfield and Switowski's involved, you go, oh, geez, they've actually got a lot of elements to this and they can score in a lot of different ways. It's just that they were a bit slow moving the ball to start the season off and they, they were a bit cautious. Now they're speeding it up a little bit and, you know, it's starting to pay dividends. And, you know, I, I think for a team like Fremantle, you've got all of the right pieces to be a finals team. And I've said that from the start of the season. I had Fremantle making the eight from the start of the season. You've got the pieces. You've just got to work it together. And something interesting that I have been thinking about a little bit recently, and this applies to Geelong and it applies to Freo, is every season in in other sporting codes, whether it's soccer, whether it's NFL, whether it's NBA, they start every season like it's a completely new thing. And that's usually because there's lots of trades and there's lots of free agency moves and there's a draft where they get lots of new players. And But, but every season is its own kind of microcosm, whereas I feel like sometimes in AFL we see it in blocks of seasons where it's, you know, okay, well, we were good last year, so we'll be good again this year. Or, oh, we'll be, we've, you know, changed the makeup of our team, but because we played really well last year, then, you know, we're expected to play well this year. It doesn't really work like that. It never does. You you can change one or two little things and your whole team falls apart. We see you lose danger in Geelong now, you start going, oh, God, they're not that good out of the middle. They're, they're losing a lot of, uh, you know, they're losing games right now. They lost to Richmond. They lost to Frio. They they got Port in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough like that. And then with Frio, I just think that, you know, they add Luke Jackson into the mix and go, okay, Darcy Jackson, you guys need to kind of figure it out, work together. We need Jackson to hit the scoreboard if he's going to be that second tall. Um, but then, Darcy, you've also got to hit the scoreboard and move forward and these things kind of take time and, you know, how Darcy and hits to, you know, Brayshaw is different to maybe how Jackson hits to Brayshaw and how Jackson pursues the ball is probably different. So you have to move into different areas. And I think small changes in teams sometimes take a little bit longer to kind of assimilate and work and work out and get those kinks worked out. And I think maybe for Freo, they changed a couple of things and they – you know, just took a, a few more weeks than we thought it would for everything to start to kick in because we know when they play, you know, a quicker brand of football, when their midfield's on, they're one of the more dangerous teams in the comp. And they've, they've showed that over the last couple of weeks and I think they're going to continue showing it. Um, I'm looking at their run to come. Uh, 
They've got Melbourne next week. So that's going to be an awesome game. A, a, a Melbourne at the G. Uh, we saw Fremantle beat Melbourne at the G last year. It was a ripping game. And that was one of those games where Melbourne, I think, had won eight or nine in a row. And everyone said, oh, Melbourne are an absolute shoo-in for the flag. And it was one of those ones where Melbourne were kind of cruising and they'd won a few games and everyone said, well, you know, actually, I, well, I think I was personally saying, I, I'm not actually so sure about Melbourne. They're not playing awesome footy. They're just winning games. They've just got so much good players on their team that they they do get wins at the end of the day. But Freer came and gave them a big shock and that kind of changed the, the trajectory of Melbourne's season. They lost a few in a row and they didn't end up, you know, actually having the season they wanted to. So this will be a really big matchup. I think Melbourne got that scare a week earlier against Port Adelaide. So it'll be interesting to see how Melbourne react to that after last year where they didn't really react. And hopefully, you know, we see Freo come to play and, you know, maybe it just, you know, it's a game that will be an absolute corker. And, you know, if Fremantle get up, it'll again challenge Melbourne in the middle of the season. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Freo are... Absolutely rolling at the moment. Uh, after the break, going to do the rest of the games. Heaps of games that have got lots to talk about to come, so stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back to the pod. It's Cato Sports. Wrapping up the last five games of the round. What a corker of a round it was. Just some some absolute rippers. Oh, God. Let's, let's get into Q-Clash. Um, Brisbane versus Gold Coast. I found myself watching more of this game than the Essendon Richmond game purely because I thought it was just a bit sloppy, the Essendon Richmond game at times. I thought, you know, Richmond weren't using the ball as well. And I was looking at the, the other game and going, geez, Gold Coast could win this. And on three quarter time at the siren, Ainsworth has a shot to put Gold Coast within six points. And in classic Gold Coast fashion, he cannot convert. And I'm out here on my Gold Coast truther. I think they've got the list. I think they've got the players. They need a big scalp at some point to put themselves in a position to take a stranglehold on a season and propel themselves into the finals. But Brisbane see that Ainsworth miss. They go, geez, we've probably got to let off there. They're coming at us. They put together a really big last quarter and end up blowing it out to, to seven goals. But it, genuinely a really interesting matchup. I thought, you know, the rookies were very, very good. Ashcroft's had 30 touches. He's kicked a goal. He's slotted into that midfield seamlessly. You know, adding in that into a Dunkley and Neil midfield that's just humming right now. McCluggage had one of his better games of the season as well. It's just, they've got such a good list there. They've got so many players who can kick goals. They've got so many players who can accumulate the ball on mass and hurt you as well. Their back line's really well set up. I mean, Brisbane, that they need to be they need to be challenged. And I think this week against Adelaide in Adelaide is going to be a nice challenge for them because they're they're just cruising too easy at the moment. And, you know, Gold Coast came at them, but they're able to just take it away. And I think, you know, you play a team that's just on that kind of all trying to make finals and they just don't put you away, unfortunately. It's it seems like it's a theme throughout the competition that you know, these mid-tier teams that are fighting for the eight, they just can't put away the good teams. And then, you know, a Brisbane or a Collingwood or a, a Melbourne, they just switch in one quarter and go bang and hit you with seven goals, eight goals for the quarter, and it's it's over. I, I really liked uh, Bailey Humphrey for, for Gold Coast. In his fourth game, he's had 26 touches. He's kicked a goal, and 
He's got that kind of butters, Wardlaw ferociousness that I was talking about in my opening segment. I just think the way he wants to seek contact, he wants to lay a bump, he wants to pick up the ball, he wants to burst out the front of the contest, he wants to lay a tackle. He really is going to be a pivotal part of Gold Coast going forward and a really good extra piece to add to Raul, Took Miller, and, and Noah Rando in the middle with Wits putting it down their throat. So I really don't have any worries about Gold Coast. I think they'll come back and hopefully they can steal a win or two in the next few games just to not get them too far from the finals too early on in the season. I think they will make a charge at some point. It's just when. And uh, yeah, they just need to stay competitive because um, the, it's too early in the season for the Gold Coast to be thinking draft and thinking, you know, oh, what can we do next season? Uh, okay, Essendon versus the Tigers. I mean, oh, I spoke about this about four weeks ago. Essendon versus Melbourne, balls there to be won, third quarter, James Jordan's Gets the ball first. Durham comes in like a missile, puts his body on, wins the ball, wins the ball forward for us, and they get a shot on goal. That type of intensity is something that Essendon, it's symbolic of what Essendon have brought every week this year. And they are undermanned. And as I said in the first segment, they don't have Setterfield and they didn't have Shield and they didn't have Parrish, but they bring the intensity, everyone on their list whether it's Hobbs, whether it's McGrath, whether it's Merritt, whether it's Durham. There's a lot of dudes that are really showing up for them at the moment. Snelling gets his opportunity. He's a mid-season draft pick guy. He's starting to develop. Durham's come through the mid-season draft as well. We like what Wiedemann's doing down forward. He's a cast off from Melbourne. Oh, come over to Essendon. We'll give you a shot. Give us effort. Hit up at the ball. You'll kick goals. And they have. And you just think, geez, a team that brings effort like that is going to be competitive. And Richmond, I don't want to bag Richmond too much because I think this game, you know, they had the game in the bag really. With five minutes to go, you're up by three goals. You shouldn't lose. But they're just a little bit sloppy with the ball in hand. They're not as composed as they used to be. They're just a little bit... (laughs) They're not the team that they used to be, is what it is. And this new kind of contested ball style of midfield is going to take time. And like I said before, when I was talking about Fremantle, you don't just have a team and, oh, we were good last year, which means we'll be good this year. Or, oh, we went and picked up two good players, so now we're going to be good this year. It doesn't really work like that. You have to get in the groove. A lot of the time, these pieces, whether it's only one guy or two guys or three guys, they can have a big impact in throwing you out or they don't play the way that, you know, maybe a guy who'd previously been there did. And so it takes time to adjust and Richmond are adjusting to have a new look midfield. And, you know, also, you know, people forget Richmond have got a lot of dudes that are coming through in their team that aren't great at the moment. Guys like Judson Clark and Thomas Dow and Ralph Smith and Ryan's been good this season, but he's not amazing. You know, Ryan Mansell, you know, he had a shot. He could have probably sealed the game. He kicks it out in the full. There's a lot of those guys. So, you know, you add those guys to what a a Richmond team that, you know, for maybe the last five years has had a lot of really strong role players, guys like Jack Graham and guys like McIntosh and guys like Bolter (coughs) and – 
you know, role players with stars around them can just play their role. But when you're role players with, you know, five to six guys who are coming through and developing, it means the role players need to stand up. And when you're not that type of guy and you don't have that type of dog in you, then it it becomes trickier. So, yeah, I think... Richmond aren't probably going to play finals this year. They need to figure it out. They need to get games into these youth guys. They probably need to get a little bit more talent to the club somehow, whether it's through the draft or whatever it is. But yeah, few injuries, not much to take from that game in terms of finals aspirations. But Essendon, uh, I love their effort. Every week it's the same. Hawthorne, West Coast, let's jump into it. (laughs) We've all wondered our whole lives, what it would be like if a VFL team or a Waffle team played against an AFL team. And Sunday afternoon was, it was the showcase. I mean, it was Dom Sheed, Tim Kelly, and 20 traffic cones versus the Hawthorne Football Club. I I couldn't really understand how bad it had gotten for West Coast. I, I, don't, I don't think I understood how bad it was until I watched and went, geez, they can't win a single center clearance. They can't win a contested ball. They're losing marking contests. They're giving away free kicks. The Hawthorne players are running by them at will. Their kicks, when they get the ball, which was sparing, especially in the second half, were dump kicks and to no one. <sighs> It was it was a it was a slaughter. It was it was ugly for long long periods. And I mean, obviously, it throws up. Well, do they have the right coach? What's who, do they have the right CEO? Where the hell is the system? How can you lose to the team that's 18th on the ladder by 116 points? And I think that you know, for the majority of people who will be angry. I think they do just need to sit there and go, there is such a big injury list right now that they will get a couple of guys back. They probably won't get beaten that badly later on in the season. You know, they might get a few dudes back if Barras comes back and McGovern gets back and and guys like this are able to get back into the team. Maybe they can they can at least slow the bleeding, but for the next couple of seasons, this is going to get ugly because they need draft capital because they have not been able to develop any good young players. I mean, Jinbi looks good. Outside of Jinbi, it's question marks on every other person and they're going to need to trade guys. They're going to have to trade Nick Nanui. I think they're going to have to trade other pieces and get some picks and hopefully get some new faces to the club because the guys they're rolling out there now the Edwardses and the Brady Hoff, these guys are just, they're nothing. West, O'Neal, I, I don't like bagging players and I definitely don't like bagging young players, but these guys are not AFL standard players and what they rolled out there was an embarrassment to the West, Con- or to the, to the West, uh, West Coast Eagles as a club, I think. So, yeah, I mean, not much to take from the game. The Hawks were able to get some confidence at least we know where Hawthorne are going. And their midfield is a really good midfield. That's just that's just what it is. We There might be a low rating on Hawthorne as a team, but Newcomb Day, Warpool, you know, with Reeves tapping the ball down, 
is a really good midfield. There's a lot to work on in the forward line and they've got major issues down back as well. I think a lot of their backmen who maybe were performing better last year have fallen out of form and fallen out of favour. I don't think Hardwick's playing as well as he did. Sisley's definitely not playing as well as he did. Frost is a turnover machine. CJ's out of the team. We don't know what's happening with Scrimshaw. He's not involved at the moment. So there's major questions with the Hawthorne backline, but the ball just didn't go on the backline because the ball went directly from the midfield to the forward line. And, you know, some of the forwards are starting to look okay. Brockman's starting to develop really well. Obviously, Mitch Lewis, who we knew was going to be an absolute monster after last season, he gets himself injured and he takes a bit of time off. Um, to rehab that ACL, but he's starting to get back into it and he's kicked a bag of six and he could have, should have and could have kicked seven, uh, but he missed an absolute sitter with a couple of minutes to go. But look, Hawthorne are tracking well. I'm liking some of the ancillary pieces. Weddle on debut looked uh, – sorry, not on debut, but in his first couple of games, he looked really good. He's had 28 touches and two goals. McKenzie's had 22 touches and two goals as well. So a lot of young – and interesting stuff coming through for Hawthorne. Connor Nash up there with one of the most underrated players in the competition as well. He's had 38 tackles, eight marks. So just keep an eye on Connor Nash. He's playing some really good football at the moment. Next game, absolute prize fight of the weekend. Collingwood Carlton, 3 p.m. at the G. And it was an absolute flop. Collingwood came out and threw a big punch in the first quarter. They looked electric early. Everyone was watching the game was going, oh, my God, this is this is Collingwood at their best. And they turned off the gas about halfway through the second quarter. Carlton, who were flat to start, didn't throw a punch for the whole game. It stated about 30 points as a margin. Carlton ended up actually outscoring Collingwood. They had 20 points. Three shots on goal, something like that. And uh, Collingwood had the 20, something like that. But pff, Carlton's shots were nothing. There was They were playing too wide. They were playing into Collingwood's hands. They had shots from the boundary. They didn't take their opportunities. Collingwood always had a nice 30-point buffer on them, and they let off the gas. It was just like it was a nothing game in the end. I mean, there's not much I can say other than Carlton are not a good football team. They have good players, but but so do West Coast. West Coast have a couple of good players. They still lost by 115 points. Carlton have good players, but they don't have a, a system for attacking another team. They don't have any sort of, you know, reliable system, and, and maybe that's on, on Voss. But there's been so many coaches go through this similar group of players, which is Weedering, Cripps, Kerno, Mackay, Walsh, Doherty. It's this, it's been this kind of six or seven guys. Silvani's been there for a while now. Like they've had the the blokes and they've had all the coaches, and nothing seems to happen. So it makes me think the players aren't very good at playing team football. It means that they're not good at working in a system. It means that they're not – I mean, I know that they're not very dangerous. Bar Kerno, none of them are dangerous. I, I, I don't think Cripps 
scares anyone in the competition. He might've won a Brownlow, but he doesn't scare anyone. He doesn't put the fear of God in a single player at Collingwood, that's for sure. And then you look at the flip side and go, well, who from Collingwood scares Carlton? Everyone. Their whole team scares him. Bobby Hill, Majacek, Jamie Elliott coming out on leads, Dacos boys flying through the center, Dugowie coming through the center. Uh, Ash Johnson was in, uh, incredible as usual. He's an, another star of the competition. And look, they had really good quality shots on goal from directly in front and they kicked their shots on goal and they got out to that 30-point buffer and they won the game. And Carlton couldn't bring it back. And you just go, well, why? Well, because they kicked wide, as I've been saying for weeks, because they turned the ball over too much, because they didn't play quickly enough, because they like kicking the ball sideways. Just over and over, these things happen. And and even though Collingwood gave up after, you know, midway through the second quarter and was like, oh, we'll just put this one into autopilot, didn't mean anything. Carlton couldn't come back. So I think we all just need to lower our expectations on Carlton. They... They just don't have it. They need, to, they need to get rid of some players. That's what they need to do. They need to shake things up because it's been the same dudes running around. Like, Silvani, you don't have impact on a game. You, you're out. McGovern, you don't have impact on a game. You are out. You know, we've got to get rid of these guys from the team. <sighs> and last game of the round, GWS and St Kilda. A reasonably good game to watch. I I thoroughly enjoyed watching this game. I thought St Kilda really came to play. So did GWS. I think both teams had their goal kickers on. King looked good. Higgins looked good. At the other end, it was it was Hogan. It was Daniels. It was Toby Green. So both teams really came to play. I thought you know with St Kilda having a few injuries earlier, it really spiced up the dynamic of the game. You know it. it it, it, it wasn't just going to be, okay, St. Kilda gets a hold of GWS. And I don't think GWS are a runaway team at the moment this season. I think they're they're competitive enough to have a, to have good games. And, you know, their guys came. Whitfield played a really good game. And I thought Cornelio was, was sold as well. But the one dude on the St. Kilda – I would say St. Kilda has got the least damaging players of the better teams in the competition – but the one or two guys you don't want touching the ball too many times in a game are Jack Sinclair and Wanganee Malira. And the reason for that is they use it so damn well. And Sinclair, I mean, he just imposed himself on the game the whole time. I think he had 37 touches. He kicked a couple of goals. Wanganee Malira had 29 touches as well. So, you know, the Saints are deploying their assets in the right fashion to get the maximum F, ma- to get maximum results out of what they've got. And so I was I was really happy with that. Haynes went down early for GWS as well. So it wasn't just that the Saints had injuries. I know they lost Owens, but the Saints, uh, the GWS lost Haynes as well. So, you know, there was a few big injuries in this game. So hopefully those guys are okay. Look, we know GWS probably won't play finals and we think that St. Kilda, I mean, I said St. Kilda probably won't because I just don't think they've got the artillery. However, having watched this weekend of football and having watched Carlton really flop and watching Richmond not win a game that they should and watching Sydney nearly fall over to to North, then you go, well, 
Who are they competing against? I mean, there's, are there that many teams vying for a spot in the eight at the moment? Like Geelong didn't look great. So they're, I know they're above Geelong on the ladder now. Adelaide lost, so that increases their gap on the ladder to Adelaide. Gold Coast lost, so it increases their gap to Gold Coast. I mean, maybe I've just underestimated how not good some teams are that maybe St Kilda will sneak in there. But, yeah, I think they just they lack a little bit of firepower. However, their firepower comes in their good ball users and they were able to get them a lot of the ball. So, yeah, a, a good game. I thought, you know, I really am liking this young kid for for uh, GWS called Angwin. He's just – he catches my eye. He's done some really interesting things the last couple of weeks. I thought Briggsy came in for GWS. He doesn't get many games, but he came in. He took a couple of big marks down the stretch. He kicked a goal. You know, he was competitive all day in the ruck. So I liked his game as well. I think Callahan is starting to get more of the ball, you know. Probably last year he was 15 touches a game. This year I expect him to be more 20 touches a game. You know, that's the type of area or improvement. If he can have, you know, five to six more touches a game, he is such a damaging kick and it's such a beautiful kick and he trusts his kick that, you know, he'll be good down the stretch for them. Liam Stocker as well. I think he's one that might have gone under the radar a little bit this season, but Soss has brought him to the club. He's recruited him at Carlton. He's re-recruited him for St. Kilda, and he's putting together a, a really strong season for, for uh, St. Kilda as well. That is the show today. Hope you enjoyed it. Covering all games. Player of the week is Butters. Player of the week was Merritt. Whew. Themes by Kevin McLeod. All my productions done by Perm. I'm over on TikTok now as well. So if you're feeling like jumping on TikTok and taking a look through my videos, I'm just doing some little cuts of interesting snapshot topics. I had a couple of uh, videos this week. So go and take a look at that and enjoy your week. That's a great idea, Kato.